This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Educated Home Buyer Live. This is where we answer your questions, help you guys become educated home buyers, sellers, investors in today's market. Once again, Mr. Josh Lewis is with us. He is here to help us on the mortgage side to make sense of economics, all things real estate. Josh, welcome back. Welcome to me, Jeb. We're having another joyous week of playing with numbers. And we've learned, Jeb, this week. I always say that numbers never lie, but people online keep telling me that, that numbers lie. Well, you can lie with numbers when you don't provide all the details. And um, we actually talked about that today in an episode where we're going to next week, uh, the the Educated Homebuyer podcast is going to be talking about the Airbnb bubble, the Airbnb bust, whatever you want to talk about or call it rather. We're going to be talking about that in detail. So that's going to post next Tuesday on YouTube, on Educated Homebuyer, on Spotify, Apple, all those places this last week. We talked about, uh, you know, debunking, if you will, the idea of a housing crash. Um, you know, the, the the crash bros, if you will, whoever online, Reventure Consulting, whoever out there is calling the crash. We're debunking that. If you haven't listened to it, go over to the Educated Home Buyer YouTube channel, listen to it, let us know what you think. I know we're getting a lot of comments on there, um, conflicting comments. People are on one side or the other. There's no middle ground there. Uh, but we would love to know what your thoughts are on it and anything else you want us to cover. Really, these episodes come from you guys, and that's why we're here. Tonight, we are going to be doing some slides, not the electric slide. Uh, we are going to be going through some slides and um, you know, making some sense of what's going on in the economy, in housing and interest rates. Hopefully, that helps you guys. If you're looking to buy a property, I am a real estate agent here locally. Orange County would love the opportunity to have that conversation with you, guide you through the process, whether you're selling or buying. If you're in California, you need a lender, the West Coast, you need a lender. Josh can help you. I'll put a link on the screen here in just a minute. But with that said, Josh, do you want to dive into some slides and get this going? Let's Yeah, let's bang through them. We got some let's, numbers. Let's bang through them, he says. So every single week, we here at the Educated Home Buyer like to start with inventory because everything always comes back to supply and demand. And at the moment, not a lot of supply. Quite frankly, not really a lot of demand, able demand at the moment, um, but because supply isn't increasing at a crazy rate, you've got the market still moving up at a pretty sustainable pace. Uh, homes this week jumped 1.8% from last week, which last week we were sitting at 451,000. This week we're at 459, basically 460,000 homes. Normally during this time of the year, we're seeing about a 6% increase week over week. We saw a one percent 1.8% increase. So significantly below what we normally would, which is leading to um, just kind of a, a blah housing market um, on many fronts. This is the same chart as this, but we're just looking at the bottom piece of it, right? We're just looking at 21, 22, 23, little zoomed in version of it. We're about to go under 2022 inventory. Um, Josh made a mention last week that, you know, this year and 2021, if you look at the the lines, you could almost overlay them um, to some extent in how inventory started the year, where it went, and where it's increasing. Although the years are different, the lines are very similar, um, which if you're looking at this, seems to think we're going to peak in September, October with inventory. I personally think it's going to hit sooner than that, but we will see. 
next chart, seasonal hold, or hold historical. On, Jeb, hold yep. on, Jeb. I got, I got a question. I'm a question. Yes. You think it's going to peak sooner? I do. Why would it? So, okay. Why sooner? And then why, if it's, if it's higher sooner, why doesn't it continue higher in your opinion? Why? Okay. That was a lot going on there. Let's start with the first question. Why? So you said it'll peak sooner. So we moved yes. to the peak to the left. Of the I, chart. I think, I think the peak... peaks earlier, why doesn't it continue to peak and move higher? Uh, because I, I, I just think seasonally, if you look at 2021, that year was a year of super low rates, right? So people, um, rates were low all year long. Um, people were still buying property. It, it pushed uh, inventory into the latter part of, of the year seasonality wise, when we wouldn't normally see inventory increase during that time of year, normally inventory in, uh, peaks between August early to, to mid August is, is the seasonal, um, peak in inventory. 2021 was different, uh, in the sense that interest rates were really low, not a lot of inventory. So people, kept pushing, 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 buying demand was super high in a time when it wouldn't normally be. I think now we move back to more seasonal patterns. It peaks earlier in the year, um, which is normally what we've seen historically. Uh, if we if we had a chart of of all of those times back on here, which we're kind of kind of seeing the next chart, but we start to see that peak in August. So I think it peaks again, uh, a lot like you saw in the 2022 up there. I mean, although it kind of crept higher because of other things going on, but you saw, you saw that peak there in August. I think that's where it is. And then it moderates because you're not going to have inventory coming on the market because there's a lack of people out there looking to sell because of super low rates. It's that time of year when things slow down naturally um, anyway. And I think that's going to lead to, I mean, I don't think there's really any changes in the market that's going to lead to more supply and or more demand unless you see rates come down. If rates come down, then we could look like um, 2021 there to some extent, but I, I don't know that that's that's reality. That that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other, you know, another comment that I have there, just talking about 21 and 23 looking similar. I don't think that we would normally expect that that a year after a year would be similar, but it kind of tells us that that balance of buyers and sellers. There's less sellers but there's less buyers. That's why we have more inventory, but sort of their seasonality of people selling and buying that that's interesting that the, the, the lines are so similarly shaped. Agreed. 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 Um, this kind of shows you, see, unfortunately in this chart, it doesn't tell you when the beginning of the year is and when the middle of the year is in, in these, these little ebbs and flows here, but you can see the lows of inventory every single year you have a low and then you have a high right the lows are usually towards the end of the year the high is sometime mid to late summer and that's kind of been the cyclical you know pattern for i mean this chart goes back to what 2015 ish um but you can see where we are you know historically historically being the last you know eight years or so um but just where we are compared to those two years because context is important and even though inventory is increasing where it is higher than where it was last year, um, this time we're still well below where we were prior to the craziness of the pandemic. And part of the reason we're not seeing inventory build is because new listings are more or less flat. We're not seeing that increase like we have the previous years. Um, and that's because sellers are locked into their homes due to low interest rates, at least my opinion. Weekly change, 451 to 459. We talked about that. Um, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, 
the low for 2022 last year was 240,000 homes. Um, the peak for this year was 472. That's where we more or less started the year. From then, we've trended downward, getting close back, you know, to there. We were down as low as 412 or 408, somewhere in there. So we've increased over the last couple of weeks, but I think that's probably going to top out here relatively soon. Um, this one just shows again, new listings coming on the market versus new immediate sales. This same week last year, we had 105,000 new listings come on the market. This year we had 84,000 and 21,000 of them were immediate sales. Just FYI, um, homes, uh, median price of homes going into contract, um, sits at 383,000. That's a 3.6% uh, above last year at this same period of time. Last year, you had rates going up, right? People were scared to death of rates going up at that time. I think now people are getting a little bit more accustomed to where rates are. So a little bit more, you know, comfortability in the market. And then price cuts. Price cuts jumped up a little bit, sitting somewhere around 31.6% because homes are sitting on the market longer now, less new listings coming to the market. Those homes, the reason inventory is building is because of less transactions taking place out there. Inventory is building. Sellers are having to do price cuts in order to sell their homes. All right, Josh, uh, foreclosures. What's happening in the foreclosure world? There, there aren't any, and there continue to not be any. You're a liar. I am a liar. They've, They've tripled. Doubled. They've, they're up 300%, Jeb, from, from almost none to a few more uh, above and beyond none. Um, and, and again, we would we would expect this. Some one of the numbers we're looking at. One of the things that the Fed is looking at and keeping them uh, at higher for longer stance is that unemployment is at record lows. People have jobs. People have income. They have low rates. They have a lot of equity. It's pretty reasonable that we would expect. Well, you don't very know what's few coming. Of them. <laughs> very you few. Have of no them idea. Uh, and then multifamily delinquency. So big big difference here in um, you know single family delinquencies right going down. Multifamily delinquencies actually headed up. Um, what do you what do you make of that? I, I don't know. I, you know, reading through some of the headlines, people are saying, "Oh, you know, rents have stagnated." But I mean, if you bought two three years ago, rents are higher than when you bought the property. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you have a, a fixed rate. But when we're looking at multifamily, some of these are not fixed rates. Some of them were taken out um, adjustables at really low rates. The true multifamily, one to four, still leans heavily uh, towards fixed rates with some hybrid arms mixed in there. Once you get to five plus units, the 30-year rates are not very attractive relative to a three, five, seven, 10-year arm. So we could be looking at arm resets there where people said, ah, I'll just roll my arm over every five, six, seven years. Those loans generally, five plus units have prepayment penalties on them. So you don't refinance as quickly to keep pushing out that reset date. That's really the only thing that I can think of um, that would economically bring hardship to landlords uh, because they, they have had higher rents and their tenants should be being able to pay them for the most part. Now, I have a question for you because this is something I truly don't know. Um, when it says Freddie multifamily, does Freddie do five plus units? Yes, do do? very different, very different than their single family one to four program. But yes, they do securitize it. All right, there you go. Um, new home sales. So we've got uh, 763,000 contracts signed for new construction. These are new home sales. Um, with the median price at four hundred and sixteen thousand, the big the big difference here is that it's a twelve point two percent change month over month, and a twenty percent change year over year. So 
there's, you know, um, calculated risk. Somebody we follow, you know, read, I, I feel like very middle of the road isn't on either side of, of the equation, housing bubble versus not kind of just looks at data and, and presents it seems to think that maybe new construction bottomed, um, in the second half of 2022 thoughts on that. That's a monster change, 20% year over year. And, and if you look, part of the hypothesis was when it slowed last year, it said, okay, builders have learned a lot from 2008. They do have a lot of permitted properties. They do have a lot of properties in various stages of construction. They'll slow play bringing them to market. Well, here we are in less than a year, and they've got signed contracts up 20% year over year, and nothing positive has changed in the last year. They have gotten builders, they being builders, have gotten pretty advanced in managing the process. Builders have you know 20 to 40 percent profits in each one of these homes. So 416 median price, anywhere from 80 to 120 thousand dollars of profit. Paying five to ten thousand dollars to buy your rate down is a cost of doing business, and we're seeing that a lot. I've told you guys a million times before. In a normal market, we're going to kill the builder's lender on price, fees, service, everything. Right now, you're almost forced to go with them. I talked to someone this week. We were looking at a 6.625 rate for them, and Lennar was buying it down to 5.625. It's hard to compete with that, but they are very sophisticated in how they are managing their inventory and moving their inventory. And the very low available inventory of existing homes is driving a lot of people saying, hey, I'll just go to the, the new, new house lot and put it under contract versus fighting with five, six, seven people on the listing down the road. Yep. And now we have the FHFA house price index uh, showing nationally, what, 0.7% increase uh, month over month and 3.1% year over year, which is conflicting with uh, Case Schiller, who's showing 0.5% month over month and a negative 0.2% annually. Josh, they, thoughts? They measure different data. That FHFA data does not include cash sales, does not include jumbo loans. So when we're really looking there at the middle of the road stuff, um, that is, that's what's moving. So when you look at Case Shiller, it captures some more information. They're both paired sales indexes. If you roll back, Jeb, to that FHFA, I like this infographic much better because we talk about all real estate being local. This only breaks it down to regions. But let's look at every region except for the mountain and Pacific is up year over year, up 3.9, up 5.1, 5.5, 6.0, 5.1, 6 6.1, 3.2. So we have some overpriced areas in the mountain and Pacific um, and had some minor corrections, but they're seeing year over year increases. Most of the data and projections that we are seeing now are anywhere from one and a half to 5% for the full year of 2023. That doesn't guarantee they're right. We're halfway through the year. So it's better than more likely to be accurate than a projection based in January. Uh, but we'll see how the rest of the year plays out. Most people are projecting full year, one and a half to 5% increases. And, and this is just another chart essentially showing you the case Schiller, um, home price index, you know, over, you know, the course of history, right? Going back to what, 1976-ish, uh, you have ebbs and flows in in that data. Um, and right now we're kind of on the downward trend and probably headed a little bit um, lower, maybe probably flatten out here just because of some of the year over year data because April was a, was a big jump. Um, so it'll be interesting, but nothing to really concern yourself with as far as I'm concerned. Now, this just looks at... Uh, Everybody, CoreLogic, Case Schiller, uh, FHFA, Black Knight, and Zillow. And um, 
you know, goes back as January, February, March, April. And then obviously we're going to get uh, new data here soon enough with regards to, to May, which again is, is year over year. You're probably going to start to see some increases, I would think. Anything you want to add there? No, 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 no. All Tell right. Its own story. Uh, GDP. GDP we've talked about. Um, let's, what are we looking at? The $24 million question is, are we in a recession? When is the recession coming? Yes. Technical, de technical definition is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. We're absolutely trending in that direction. We're down in that zero to 1% range right now. And it looks like we'll, we'll roll through these next charts here uh, and, and show you fairly quickly that the negative information is piling up. There's still, every week we get one report at least that's a surprise positive, but two or three that are kind of confirming the story. So if we look at the next one, um, it's a composite index for both ISM services and manufacturing. And when you look at those, um, recently dipped below that 50 number that if you look back the last three recessions, it is called predictably, uh, reliably uh, is predicted the recession. So we have the yield curve inversion, basically every measure at every duration of the yield curve is inverted, GDP decreasing. This has been predictive in the past. Um, we have leading economic indicators uh, on the next chart, Jeb, is basically telling the same story. We are in an area that has been predictive of a recession every time previously. So the LEI is a composite of, of many different figures uh, that they're looking at. But this indicator has the most infallible record of all recession indicators we track. So at this point, the question is really, when and how how deep and how long the recession well, Biden said yesterday that uh he thinks that we uh might be able to avoid a recession i don't think that's the case could we have a short or shallow or long and shallow recession that doesn't feel much like recessions we've had in the past that's a possibility but the the numbers are kind of stacking up and telling us it, it's coming especially when you look at the typical lag in impact of fed uh actions and this is the fastest most aggressive actions they've ever taken. And every time in the past with slower, more gradual increases, it is basically slowed the economy significantly. It would be foolish to think that we're not going there. Right. Um, so this one, we're looking at uh, what? Money supply, uh, percent of GDP versus GDP growth. So every time what we've seen money supply go down, GDP has followed. And that's more or less what we're seeing here. Well, look at this. Uh, we One of the easy ones for people to follow, we hear in the comments all the time, yeah, inflation is going to be a problem forever. We shot M2 to the moon. You can't just uh, print all that money and have it not be a problem. And there's some truth to that. That's that's how we, we've got here. You can see from this chart that the rapid supply in M2 got a rapid increase in GDP and inflation. So what you can also see here is every time that M2 has trended down and it's never quite trended down this quickly, this sharply, um, it has brought GDP down. So just one more thing telling us that a recession is quite likely. All right. And looking at some last one here. So bank lending, um, contracting U.S. bank lending is entirely consistent with historic recession. So anytime we see bank tightening, lending tightening, we've seen a recession happen in those cases. And this chart more or less supports that, right? Yeah. And the follow through on that, Jeb, everyone wants to ask, well, does that mean that home purchasing is going to get more difficult? You know, in the last downturn, when all the subprime loans away went away, mortgage lending, residential mortgage lending tightened greatly. 
really who do, what do banks lend on now? They're lending on commercial real estate. This is why everyone is predicting problems for the commercial side of the business as this tightens and adjustable rates roll over at much higher rates with lower tenant occupancy rates. So it uh, definitely tells that story. This one I just wanted to throw in for you guys. The purple boxes there, I just went back every Wednesday. I've been trying to tell you, we are absolutely going sideways. Um, if I had taken out that last one in March on the left side, it would have been even flatter. But the range from the low uh, was 3.64 on the 10-year. The high is at 3.71 or 3.79 at today's close at 3.71. So it's 0.15 range over going on over a month now. So we're, we're in a pretty tight range and we're likely to get some sort of a breakout. The range right now, um, if you look at it on that next chart, Jeb, um, 372, if we stay below 372, we closed at 371 and changed today. If we stay below it, we'll probably make a run down to that 362 level. It's looking like the breakout will be to the positive side, but I don't think we're going to have a huge breakout. Really, until we get below 330, 340 on the 10-year, we're looking at more of this sideways chop. And you guys always like to know where are interest rates at. This is harder and harder to give a general um, answer other than FHA and VA loans because the, the LLPAs are so stratified. Every borrower can be three-eighths to a half percent difference from, from, from the next. But if you look at these, uh, everything's hanging under 7%. The FHA and VA in the low sixes. So low sixes to high sevens for most borrowers, unless you're looking at a really low credit score or some type of non-owner occupied second home. All right. Good stuff. So if you find any value in that part of the show, do us a finger. finger. Give us the finger, if you would. Uh, now do us a favor. Hit the thumbs up. Um, or do a, give us the finger and, and be a thumbs up too. That works. Uh, but, you know, let us know that you actually value that part of the show in the comments. Um, it helps. And um, also something we didn't do tonight, we didn't do the little intro music, right? The little three minutes prior to the show to allow, you know, people to get ready, that sort of thing. Do you look forward to that? Do you hate it? I'm interested in knowing what are your thoughts on doing that versus just coming in hot, baby. And coming and in hot, answering questions. Yeah. What do you think? Um, let us know because we do take you know, all of this into consideration I do when um, I plan how this whole thing goes. And so I'm interested in your opinion. Oscar started off with a super chat. So we're going to start with Oscar. He says, bought my house in July of 2021, $790,000 at a 2.875 FHA loan. So that means his rate, Josh, because he's going to have 0.85% um, is what? Sitting at 3.75%. Yeah, roughly 3.75%. I want to drop my PMI. Lenders suggest FHA streamline, but don't know what to do with rates being high. I'm not a lender. Stay put. You don't do a thing, right? I mean, you got a 2.875, your, 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 your combined rate, your collective rate, your what's, what's the word, Josh, your, what's your effective, your effective, effective rate of interest interest rate is your rate plus your PMI, which is significantly below any other rate you're getting in the market. So um, don't do a thing is so my the, suggestion. The, the secondary follow-up that Jeb, you nailed it is 100%. Even though you're, you are not a mortgage professional, you just play one on the internet. <laughs> the, the second part that I would say about this is don't go back to that lender for any advice ever again in the future. 
you have a 2.875 interest rate and they suggested you do a streamline. You're not eligible for a streamline because there has to be a net tangible benefit to you. Putting you in a six and a quarter FHA, which would, instead of having 0.85 MI that has been reduced, would be 0.55 or 0.50, depending on if you wanted to pay for an appraisal. But any way you cut it, you're going to be 3% to 4% higher than where you're at right now. So any answer other than there is nothing within a mile of making sense for you tells me you should stay a million thousand trillion miles away from that lender. There you go. Uh, good stuff. Uh, Mr. Smith says, should I change realtors? My house has been on the market for three months. My realtor continues to sell new construction in the same development in just a few days. Contract expires September 23rd. So what I would say is for a lot of markets, three months isn't a long time. Um, I've got a property on the market right now. It's been three months. Um, I have had the conversation with that client on numerous occasions. Every Monday, we have an update in writing. And I've suggested changes in price multiple times um, because in my my feelings were we priced too high to start with. It was above what I originally suggested by quite a bit, um, but we did it and we have not adjusted accordingly, in my opinion. Have you had that conversation? Has your realtor suggested a lower price and you're unwilling to do it? Have they said everything is great, nothing to do here? Just let, you know, let's just keep going because after three months, you, you should have had that conversation about what needs to be done. You should have had that conversation about negative feedback, positive feedback. Um, is there anything you can do to make your property, uh, more appealing? In my case, the property isn't the problem. It's the location to, uh, a main street that is the problem, right? We've had great showings. People love the house, but the location to the street isn't ideal. We can't pick up the house and move it. Therefore, there's not a lot we can change other than the price. In your case, that might be different. The second thing I would ask you is your sounds like you're in a community with new construction. What price is new construction selling relative to the price that you're trying to get? If I'm a buyer and you're and I can buy a new construction home for not much more than existing construction. I might lean towards new construction because it's new, right? Versus somebody that's lived in the home. Uh, maybe the taste is different. The style is different. But in the case that you've done some of the things, you fixed the yard, you've done, you know, uh, you know, things in interior upgrades, uh, you've put blinds on it, things that new construction properties don't have, then maybe your house, you know, would be a, a higher selling point. So it's, it's hard to say without knowing it all, but these are things that you have a conversation with your agent. You know, why is it my house selling? Why are the new construction homes selling? What can we do to better position ourselves? And maybe it means you do need a new agent, but hard to say at this point. And, and you still got three months on your contract. So, um, you know, what's what's the average days on market in your in your neighborhood? That's all things to look at. So just take that all into context and or into consideration and make your 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 opinion from there. Um. Brandon says, I am one of those few buyers closing into the month. Question, can and should I get my own second inspection on a new build? So who was the in first inspection through? Was it through the builder? If so, my my suggestion is yes. I would, I would always get a, another party in there to take a look at the property. Uh, personally, for a couple hundred bucks, it's worth it just to make sure everything is in working order. And most of these new construction companies, um, you know, they have a, a manager that manages the property. 
anything that comes up, they're going to take care of. So it's worth having a second opinion if you haven't done so already um, and you're only using, you know, their their project manager or whoever to go through the property. All right, Josh, let's see here. Just going to kind of go through these as they come up. Should I start buying some small pieces of furniture between clear to close and closing? Would it affect the closing if I spend a couple hundred uh, dollars before that takes place? So Josh, you have a client getting a loan. They want to buy some things. What are your suggestions? Two separate issues. In general, better safe than sorry. Put it off until you're done. You're talking about a few small pieces of furniture. If you're using savings to do that, probably not a problem unless you're very tight on closing and the funds have not been fully documented. Uh, once we have everything, let's say I have a borrower that has uh, $50,000 to close and they have $200,000 sitting in the bank. We have two months of statements with that. We've over-documented what we need. We're done once the underwriter signs off on that. If they go buy a couple thousand dollars worth of furniture, not a problem one way or the other. Now, if they need 50,000 to close, they had 32,000. Now we've got 57 and we're trying to figure out which money went where, there still may be some questions. So if that's the case, I would be very careful about spending any of your cash. In terms of spending money on a credit card, even if it's a credit card you already have, lenders can and often do a credit refresh before closing. So again, if your debt to income ratio is tight and $100, $500, $1,000 on a credit card could increase the payment, it could absolutely be problematic. So you need to know your strength as a borrower. If we have low debt to income and way more funds documented than we need and we're fully documented, sourced and seasoned, probably not a problem. Talk to your lender, ask them. They can tell you for sure since they have seen your file. There you go. Good stuff. Uh, doo -doo -doo. Jim, is there... A 203K loan program available in California? If so, what are the pros and cons, Josh? So let's start. 203K is an FHA loan. It's a rehab loan. It allows you to buy a property that needs some work and use that loan to finance the rehab cost as part of your original purchase, right? So they're available in all 50 states. Um, that said, Josh, what are the pros and cons? If I'm remembering my stories correctly here, World Trekker is thinking about doing some work on his home, possibly adding something that could be rented, adding some square footage. It can be used, renovation loans can be used for refinancing as well. So purchase or refinance. It's an FHA loan. It's going to have mortgage insurance regardless of how much equity you have in your home. It's going to have a higher interest rate than a standard FHA or conventional loan. Um, depending on how much you're borrowing, uh, you could have a very low rate on your current loan. So if you have a $500,000 loan at 3.5% and we're getting a new loan at six fifty dollars to access $150,000 for upgrades, now we took that whole lump to 6 plus percent range where we would be today. So the MI, higher interest rate than where you're likely at, um, tells us that it may not be the best option versus some type of second mortgage for you. Also important to remember that Fannie Mae also has a renovation loan, depending on what types of renovations you're doing, it may be better. You can get that without mortgage insurance. Also going to have a higher than market interest rate due to the additional risk and work to the lender on renovation loans. So talk to a lender if you're serious about it, about those options, and they can break it down for you exactly what they look like. Um, it's just a more, more involved process. You're going to have a, a 
contracting consultant that's going to look over your plans, look over your bids. Uh, they're going to charge for inspections. They don't just give you a lump sum of money for you to go pay your contractor with. They're going to come out and say X percent of work was done. Yes, we sign off on it. Here's reimbursement for that so you can pay your contractors. So very good program can be very appropriate depending on your circumstances and needs, but talk to a mortgage professional that can walk you through it and see if it truly fits your situation. All right. Arnold says Pulte has a hundred available homes in LA, but no one is buying. And he goes on to say Porter Ranch homes down $150,000. So it, could there be a community in LA that has some homes available that no one's buying? Sure. I don't know that to be true. Don't know it to be false. Uh, but when, when I hear Porter Ranch, I hear issues, right? What, what was the issue up there a couple of years ago, Josh? There was uh, something with contempt, like what was it? Contamination. There was uh it's like soil. Like, what was it? There was no, it was like a gas deal. Like, uh, oh, I remember what that was. I didn't know that's where it was, but yeah. Was that Porter Ranch? I think it was Porter Ranch. Um, I don't know. I, when I think of that area, I think of a couple of different things that have happened in that area that have, uh, been issues. Is that the reason? I have no idea. I mean, typically a, a builder wouldn't build homes in an area like that if there were issues because it's been long enough. Um, but I, I don't know LA well enough. Um, what I can tell you is supply is low and demand is still there that um, if the homes were priced correctly, they would sell. Maybe they're not. And therefore, they're um, having to, to, to reduce prices. Um, Josh, yes, you were going to say something? No, I'm just saying I, I talk to a lot of people and they are because of the really low interest rates. A lot of them are considering new construction. I don't know anyone that is walking in and going, hey, you're not going to believe the amazing discount we got. They're getting inter interest rates. They're getting upgrades. They're getting things, incentives. But we, we just went through the numbers. Builders just announced record levels of permits, 20 percent year over year increase in sales like is it possible? Yeah. What I would say is be very careful if you're watching things on YouTube or reading people's blogs and passing that stuff off as fact. I talked to a client this last week who is going to be buying later in the year out in the Ontario, Fontana area. And they said, yeah, we're, we're looking at this stuff. And you'll see these guys on YouTube making videos saying uh, crickets at the uh, builder's sales office and they can't give these houses away. And I go out there and they have nothing available. And they're telling me it's going to be $25,000 for the next phase release. So be very careful with what you watch um, online. If you take anything from the last two episodes of the podcast or this week and next week, be careful what you read online. Don't take our word for it. Trust, but verify because there are people out there that are not just misunderstanding the data that are literally lying to you with the data. There you go. Uh, let's see. Um, Arnold also has a question says, have my, I have my 20% down payment split between high yield savings accounts um is it at risk there so do you have any risk in a high yield savings account my 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 answer is no as long as you're under the fdic insured limit you you basically have no risk um and at this point the government's almost said what's well, 250 now anyway isn't it right josh 250 yeah, 250 um that you know even with that said they've also kind of set the precedent that maybe they would bail you out otherwise but um I don't think it's at risk being in those. Uh, is there better uh, places to put your money? Possibly, but I mean, I think that's probably the safest place, uh, quite frankly. But Josh? 
other oh, treasury here, bonds. Uh, yeah, Treasuries. I'm looking yeah. here at, at both of them, Ally and Vio, uh, both of their high yield in the 5.0 uh, uh, yield, annual percentage yield, and they're both FDIC insured up to 250. So if you have uh, less than 500,000 among those two accounts or multiple accounts with less than 250, uh, you're, you're going to be just fine. Yep, there you go. Uh, Monica is asking, who has gotten hit with high supple huge supplemental taxes this year after buying in 2022? I'm curious. So if, you, if you're listening to this right now, have you got hit with huge supplemental tax bill? Um, let me know. Uh, here in California, we don't have to worry about that because of Prop 13. And um, that is one of the benefits of living here. One of the We still have for living here. Um, we'll talk about another thing here in just a minute. Um, that has been up in the air and questioned about. Uh, but anyway, Monica says she's never got this with their first home they purchased in 2014. So my guess is you got it this year. You didn't get it the first time. You're wondering what it is. Is that is that correct in, in my assumption? Or are you just asking? Um, and was your home in the same state that, that you bought the first time? Is it a different state? Let me know. Yeah, so California is really the only one that's going to have it. And it's going to vary over time. And it's going to vary by what the seller paid. I've had people buy a home that the previous owner had occupied for 50 years and was assessed at $120,000. They buy it for $800,000 and they are shocked, shocked at the size of their supplemental. So basically the two things that are going to dictate the size of your supplemental is the previous owner's assessed value and your sales price. And then how long it takes for that reassessment to occur. Sometimes they're quick, sometimes they're slow, um, but hopefully your professionals prepped you a little bit for that. If it does, was the case. does the size of your supplemental matter? Because I don't have one. You, you have no supplemental? No, no supplemental. Well, Scary. It is. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, World Trekker says, is it true that homeowners electricity in California is going to be paid based on income. So this is one of those crazy things that's floating around at the moment. Consideration or not, I, I actually don't know the answer to this, Josh. I I decided during the pandemic, I don't watch the news anymore. So I don't watch any news at all. Zero news. Um, I read things like the Wall Street Journal. I read, you know, Housing Wire. I read things that I want to read that pertain to, you know, things I'm interested in. One thing I don't read is crazy California politics. Uh, but I have seen this headline out there. What do you know about it? So it's a proposal. Um, it's I think it's the Public Utilities Commission has suggested this. And the crazy thing is it varies whether it's Southern California, Edison, PG&E, San Diego, uh, Gas and Electric. And they're basically adding a base rate. So depending on your income, you just have to pay X number of dollars every month, $20, $50. So for Southern California, Edison, anyone making up to 28,000 to 69,000 would pay $20 a month. Um, that would be $34 in, in, a, in addition to what you're paying now, or that would just be your bill in addition. Okay. And the more you make, the higher, the higher that goes up. Crazy. Yeah, He's no, they're, they're He's out of their minds. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so that's what we think about that. Uh, yeah. you know, and here's the thing, crazier things have happened. California is the leader of idiotic, uh, political decision-making. So we could be the forefront people. Hold on. Uh, let's see. Uh, Anya, is it wise to always keep resale value in mind when buying homes? I say yes. 
Um, some people will tell you no. Uh, depends, right? Like, for example, Josh has the story of of some of his wife's friend. I mean, I guess a friend, uh, friend's parents at this point buying a home in the middle of uh, the last housing crash or right prior to the housing crash. When when Josh was giving them, you know, a warning that the housing market might go down, their whole argument was, "We don't care. We're going to live here for the next thirty years. We don't care what happens to prices. We're tired of paying rent. We will be here." At retirement, and here they are today. They owe what'd you say, Josh, two hundred thousand, and their home's worth one point two million. So financially, great decision on their part. Um, but I, kind of, not along the same lines. But you know, they probably weren't worried about resale value at that time. They just cared about living in the home and knowing over time it would go up in value. I believe that too. That over time, homes are going to appreciate in value. But I think it's also important to. To, to think resale value. And what do I mean by that is when I have clients that, like I have a client that backs to a freeway, the 91 freeway. And when he bought that property, my, you know, me as a real estate agent, me as a professional, me, you know, doing my job is, hey, you've got to think when you go to sell this property, that's a problem. It's a problem, maybe not for you, but it's a problem for some people. If you took a hundred buyers that would be interested in a property like this, you're going to lose a lot of them because of the freeway. It's a lot like the property I have listed here in Huntington Beach at the moment. It backs to almost two roads um, because of the way it sits in a, in a corner lot. That 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 is something you have to think, right? Not everybody's going to be interested in that property because of of the location. And in this case, they're being relocated for a job, right? So they don't. It's not really even a choice for them in what they're doing. And so maybe you wanted to keep it long-term, but you're not really having the option because you're being relocated for your job. So I think resell is always something you need to consider. And whether you decide, I don't care, or yeah, it plays a part, that's up to you. But as an agent, I'm going to make sure that you know we're, we're thinking about those things. It, it also comes up a lot when, when clients are looking at studios or one bedroom properties, just because there's less people interested in buying those types of properties. They usually take longer to sell. There's just, it, it doesn't get the same appreciation, the same demand as a, you know, a two, three bedroom home. And so these are conversations that you should be having with your agent when looking at properties that could have resale issues. And I would say the same thing, like, is it, do you always have to take it in mind? No, but unless you say, I love this property and I either don't intend on selling it or I don't care if I don't sell it at a big profit or even potentially a loss mm -hmm. because of a limited market for it, as long as you know it on the way in and you're comfortable with it and you like that property. That's enough, it. I, I could I could see that. Right. Making and, yeah. and we see people doing this kind of on the addition side, right? People will do things to their homes where, where you know, in conversation, like a client might ask me, hey, what if I did this is this to my home, how would it affect the value? Would it increase? Would it, you know, what what does it do? And you say, it would probably increase the value of your home, but you're, you know, you're maybe building too much, building too much on the lot. You're, you know, you're gonna have people that you've built out too much, or the way you've done this, it's not going to appeal to the majority of people. Therefore, you know, it's it might hurt you a little bit, but if you're doing it for yourself to use because you need it or you want it, then it doesn't really matter. It's just good to understand the consequences. And then from there, make a decision whether it's, you know, something you want to move forward with or, you know, forego because of the potential impact down the road. Uh, Josh Show says, 
What are your thoughts on a 10-1 arm at 5.75 fixed uh, on the front end? Enough time to monitor rates for a refi? Question mark. So do you think 10 years is enough to pay attention to? A thousand percent. Uh, it's, that's 10 years is a long time. Uh, I think we will be significantly below 5.75 in the next one to three years, much less 10. Um, again, the only risk, if you put a minimum down, which with the, the 10, one arm and five, seven, five, it's probably a bigger loan or a portfolio loan. Um, as long as you're putting five, 10, 15% down. So you're not worried about a potential dip in value, uh, limiting your refinance options. Uh, I would absolutely suggest it if you can get that big of a discount to the market. And Jeb, we've got a couple of questions sort of along the same lines here. Kingsley says is six and a half on a 30 year fixed, a good rate impossible to answer. There's literally 40 factors that go into it. In general, that's good. We showed here at the top of the show, the average rates, depending on who you're looking at, that were being reported yesterday, 6.91, 6.75. Um, but even in those, we don't know what are the average amount of points being paid. So for that, we have to know what your box A fees are for the six and a half percent interest rate. We need to know your credit score. We need to know your down payment. We need to know the property type, many, many things. So is six and a half percent a good rate right now? It's below average based off of what we showed at the top of the show. Uh, but depending on what you're paying for it and what your other qualifications are, it could be high. If it's an FHA or a VA, it's, it's probably higher than it, it needs to be. And then Jeb, staying on the rate lock topic, Jose Calderon, buying in Florida, I'm a month away from closing and I'm scared of locking rate, waiting for them to drop more. Um, and it's funny, there's a couple, depending on where you put the, the pauses in there, you can look, I'm scared of locking the rate, I'm waiting for them to drop more. I'm scared of locking the rate, waiting for them to drop more. Here's the thing. Market has gone super sideways. We've been in a very tight range. Uh, I don't think there's a huge risk or huge potential reward in the next 30 days. For me, I watch it every day. I'm comfortable. I think that the, the risks are weighted more in favor of your benefit of rates going lower. But I, the way I always like to phrase this to my clients, when you go to Vegas, are you itching to head straight to the craps table or are you heading to the buffet or the shopping mall? If you're a gambler or you have a higher level of risk tolerance, you're in a phase right now where we can absolutely keep an eye on it. If the 10-year treasury were to go above 3.84, you would want to lock that. If we stay, float, see what happens, but only if you can tolerate that risk and it's not going to give you uh, indigestion between now and then. I mean, at the end of the day, Josh, do you see – this is a shot in the dark, um, a crystal ball type question, but do you see a move, a significant move happening in either direction where it, it makes sense to not just lock it? Like, is, is there a chance that rates move more than, say, an eighth of a percent? For the average person, just lock it and move on. Could it move a quarter or three eighths? Yes. Is the likelihood that 30 days from now we're within an eighth plus or minus of where we are today? That is the greatest likelihood. And the reality beyond that, kind of going back to that 10-1 arm question, you're not going to have this interest rate in one, two, three years. You're going to refinance it. Furthermore, I can tell you this. When I call my clients 60 days after closing, if I were to say, hey, what interest rate did we get you? They never remember. It's the most important thing in the world until you close and move into your house and you will forget all about it. So that's not to say ignore rate, pay whatever is being offered to you. It's to say don't obsess over it. Mine's at 2.99, dude. I ain't forgetting that. <laughs> Just so you're clear. Um, Wesley says, doesn't HB have million-dollar studios? And I'm thinking here as I read that question, and I think no, no. I, we do. I only we do. can think of one community in all of Huntington Beach that actually has studios. 
I think I think a couple of those buildings on PCH facing the ocean have studios. I don't know. I think most of them are one bedrooms, true one bedrooms. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I know Harbor Pacific does in 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 Northwest Huntington Beach there at Warner and, and PCH. They have true studios. Uh, outside of that, I'm not. I can't think of any communities that have true studios. Most of them are, are true one bedrooms. Uh, but uh, you know. Could there be? Sure. I, I just, they're not very common if there are. Uh, Josh, this is a question. Where did I see it? Oh, Lynn, thank you for the comment earlier. Uh, said, should I send a gift to my realtor and mortgage offer since they spent so much time helping me? So I will say doing this a long time, um, I would say probably one out of 10 clients. Give me a gift. I don't expect a gift. Um, for my clients, I give them a gift, um, but it happens. Uh, they do like if I'm throwing a party or that sort of thing, they, you know, I have clients that bring gifts every year to that sort of thing. But just after doing a transaction, I don't get a lot of gifts. Um, I get more thank you notes than anything else. And that's good enough for me. But Josh, what are your thoughts? Same thing. This is our job. I'm not doing your loan for free. This is what I do for a living. I'm getting you a great deal and I'm doing a good job for you. If you send a thank you, I am more than pleased. Yeah. With that. Give us a good have... review. That's more good. than anything you can do. Yeah. A thousand percent. That's, that's it, 10 times more but, valuable than any gift that you would be willing to buy us. But since I go in everywhere now, everywhere, Starbucks, uh, I don't really go to Starbucks, but when I do, they flip that thing around or I go get poke at a place and you know these people are doing their job and they go to ring up the order and they just flip that thing around on me hey just answer a couple questions you know before you put your card in there they ask for a tip you know i'm thinking about putting one of those in my car josh to show you know show people around like i show you a property like hey just I've make been, sure I've, you, been, I've been your uber driver yeah today just make to sure you tip homes. this uh tip this guy no it's like everybody expecting something these days it's crazy like that's a whole like i could do a whole conversation on that i'm becoming andy rooney josh i was andy rooney a long time when you ago were 20 when you were 14 and now i'm back i'm back you were andy so rooney while you were still rocking people, the herringbone these young entitled people oh, i could just i could go well, i should start another youtube channel just doing these things that bug me. <laughs> we already talked about that the, the crotchety realtor and just oh, go. Just god i have so many things unfiltered Un unfiltered it could not nobody could watch it it would be like i would get canceled um all right isadora orange county you recommend the rsm new builds rancho santa margarita new builds I, I i assume you're talking about rancho mission viejo not rancho santa margarita um do i recommend them if they're right for you um i don't I don't have a lot of clients in that area. Uh, I believe those have Melarus um, on the Rancho Santa Margarita ones. Jeb, I will say that there are almost no new builds that don't have Melarus and or special assessments some and of, HOA. Yeah, some of these, though, are saying that they don't have them. And I don't remember if it's that community or, or the other one. Um, that said... You know, if the property fits what you're, I mean, the nice thing about those properties is they're building out the infrastructure around them. It's a lot like, I don't want to compare it to Ladera Ranch, but it's a lot like Ladera Ranch was before Ladera Ranch is what it is now, um, which is a great community if you want to be out in that area. For me, that I don't, it's not that I don't like that area. Too far from the beach, too far south. It's hotter. The climate's different. It's just not for me personally. That doesn't mean it's not for you or for you know, someone else. But the nice thing about those new construction communities is it's it's new. Everything is new. The schools are new. The streets are new. 
the infrastructure, everything is new and there's something to be said about that. So um, if it's right for you, pull the trigger. Uh, but it can be expensive. I do know that. Um, there's some cool communities down there, though. Some cool houses for sure. Uh, Josh, is rent going to rise in the future? Josh, we talked about this a little bit earlier today. What are your thoughts? Over time, it is always going to rise. 10 years from now, rents will be higher than they are today. Ask me two years from now. No, no way of knowing. We're coming off of record levels of appreciation. Could they flatten? Could they drop? Um, absolutely possible. But over time, they will keep uh, pace with wages and inflation. Much like Jeb can't get his Starbucks for $5 like he used to. It's now an $8 venti macchiato double whip with uh, with a tip. With a big tip. $4.75 she buys that thing. Well, I stopped I stopped going to Coffee Bean because what started out once upon a time as a $1.85 iced tea is like a $4.70 iced tea. And I say, no, thank you. I'll go to In-N-Out and get a 44-ouncer for $2.50. And me? I just drink water and Celsius. On You're basic. You're basic, Jim. Basic. You're basic. I'm basic. Uh, let's see, Josh. I mean, Kinsley Kingsley rather asked this a question that I can't answer, but I am going to put it up here just to let you know I see it. Uh, do you foresee prices in Howard County, Maryland dropping anytime soon? I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about Howard County, uh, Maryland. Um, the prices are escalating and I have been looking to buy with no success. So that tells me inventory is probably a problem in your price point. Demand is still high. So unless the, one of those two changes significantly, you're not, you're probably not going to see some change. Remember when we had Todd Sachs on here some time ago and he was, I, I won't say he was unsure about the market, but he was unsure about the Maryland market at that time. And I, I felt like he had reservations about the direction of housing and that whole market has been crazy since, since then. So Jeb, Tiff, yeah. Tiffany's got a twofer here. Yep. This one's easy. Never when will it crash. Go watch, go watch this week's episode of the podcast. And we go through in great detail why it's not going to crash. So if you're waiting for that, you may be an old where where can she find that, Josh? Where can she find that? The educated home buyer. So go search YouTube for the educated home buyer or YouTube. Just go in the description. The description below will will. We'll lead you're you there. Gonna, you're going to post a link to to this episode directly to that episode. I will. I will. I will do that. And then Tiffany, um, the the next question is actually a good one. I, I like the question. Do you expect mortgage rates dropping in California for July? Um, what I'm going to say is I believe they will, but I'm not going far out on that limb. 60, 40, 65, 35. And I don't think it is a massive decrease. If we come back this next month, I would expect rates to be an eighth or a quarter lower. Um, I don't think they're going to move much no. beyond that. So wrong, wrong see. link. Sorry. Keep going. Even the wrong link. I think. Hold on. You just you just keep doing what you're doing. Well, they're asking tough questions. Uh, here we go. You're going to have to participate in this one. World Trekker wants to know, if money is not a question, where would both of you retire? The bigger question is, do I have to live there the whole year? Because actually, I want two properties. I want a place in Rancho Mirage, and I want a place at Gaza Ranch in North Idaho. Those would be my two where I would only go where the sun was shining and, and warm. 
Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. We were sitting down uh, for dinner a couple months ago. Family, we all like to do family dinner. And our middle child, the inquisitive one, uh, likes to ask a lot of questions, says, if we had to move or, yeah, if we had to move, where would we move to? I started thinking, where would we want to move? Like, where do you want to live? Um, the, the thing is, like, there's a lot of states that offer, like, something really nice. Like, you know, uh, f- you know, Florida in April is amazing uh, or in January. Like it's, it's, it's fantastic. There's no humidity. It's just like, it's, it's great, but there's like six months where it sucks. Um, Same to be said about North Carolina. There's a couple months that are just great. I think we're outdoor people. Um, I like, you know, mountains. I think like I could go Southern Utah. I like golf. I like to be able to play year round golf, like Southern Utah, maybe parts of Arizona I could go to, but like Josh said, I wouldn't want to be there full time. Like I hear Idaho is great. Northern Idaho, um, you know, places I would like to explore, but if money wasn't a problem, I'd probably have a house in all of them and just, just jump around, you know, um, you know, California, I, it's, I'm, I like California. California has its problems. Let's be honest. So there are Jeff, issues here. There, it's there's not definitely as bad, issues. It's not as the bad good. as people make it out to be. And it's not as good as people make it out to be. Somewhere in the middle. The good outweighs the bad by a lot. There's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad. Yes. It's definitely outweighed. There you go. Jeb, we we have a comment here that I I believe bears um, further investigation. Wesley says, us amateurs need a producer for the podcast. What does a producer even do on a podcast? Are are you a full-time producer? Uh, what would you do or what would you suggest we seek out in a producer? What more would you like in the podcast? Bro, I mean, I'll get Dr. Dre on there. We'll have a producer. <laughs> like, we'll get one on there and just make it happen. No, what does a producer do on a on a podcast? I, I'd, I'd want to know. I mean, do we need better equipment? He says, post the right link for the first time for sure. Oh, bro, bro this isn't a podcast. Right this is we not even a, a podcast. Yeah, we need a moderator. We need a, a mod is what we need. We definitely need that. Like by Jamie the way, for Jennifer, Joe Rogan. By the way, Jennifer Lego popped up in my vetted VA live stream last night. And said, she doesn't Hello. exist anymore, man. Yeah, she says she does. Well, she, maybe it was uh, maybe it was uh, willing acting on behalf. It could have been. Um, all right, let's talk here. Uh, it's 5:57, guys. Lego Maya go. Um, passed on one. I'm just, I'm reading. I don't, Josh, what is the rate for an FHA mortgage with a 600 credit score? Zero points, you're going to be in the seven percent range. That 600 score, um, definitely increases your pricing. So you're going from the low sixes to the high sixes, low sevens, if you're looking at zero points. So, just to put it in context, let me just throw it in here zero points with an 800 credit score, um, which would be high. Most FHA borrowers are 687, 720. Um, yeah, zero points would be 6.375. So, you're paying about five eighths of a percent in, in premium for uh for the honor of having the 600 credit score. So you definitely, what I would say is get with someone, have them do the what if analysis, analyze your credit report, see if there's any low hanging fruit, things we could do to get you up over 640 because the 640 will get you pretty close to the best rates. All right, Uh, we've got a couple here. I just want to knock out real quick. Brian, Brian posted a comment earlier, says, is the housing market just uncertain right now? Um, Not 100% sure what that exactly means, but says, uh, they're a Gen Z would be best 
to wait question mark. So that's a question uh, to see where housing moves. I'm in my mid 20s. So if I were in my mid 20s at the moment, um, I would I don't know that I'd be in a rush to buy a house uh, unless the the demands of a family or something else were or leading me to do that. Now, I'm not saying that because I think there's a crash coming or whatever, it just but you still have got time. I mean, if you're in a position where you know, you're doing well financially, um you're you know you're going to be in that area for an extended period of time, job security is good, all of that, then maybe housing is the right thing. Uh, but maybe it's not. Maybe, you know, you're you're unsettled in relationships, unsettled in jobs, un- unsettled in where you want to be. You still got time on your side to reap the rewards of home ownership and um, be able to take advantage of, you know, maybe a slower market, you know, in in the future. It's hard to say. Like, I don't expect housing prices to crash, but I also don't expect them to go up 20% over the next couple of years, right? I think you're going to see more of what you've seen over the last couple of months, which is just kind of bumping along. So there's no real rush, in my opinion, to do anything. But it's also better than renting in many ways if you have the money to do it and feel comfortable with everything that's associated with it. Uh, and I would say the same thing, Jeb. You've had the Dave Ramsey quote here that renting buys you patience. Yep. Brian, you you can afford to have patience. I love the idea of buying as early as you can if you're kind of settled in your life in terms of stable in your career. You have the income. You establish credit. You have some savings. You don't have a relationship that's going to pull you four states away to be closer to uh, your new significant other. As long as all those things are in line, buying early, if you buy when you're 26 and you, you just pay it. At 56, you have a home that's paid for. There's a lot to be said for that. If you buy a duplex and you want to convert that to a rental, by the time you're 32, 33, when most people are buying their first home for their family, you have some equity and that would be a a wonderful rental. So there's things to be said, but everything that Jeb said about having patience, you don't need to feel the rush. And definitely the market is uncertain right now. Anyone telling you no risk, everything's going to be better in five years, lower rates, higher prices, all of the above. We cannot say that we're likely to just sort of stumble forward for the next three, four, five years, finding that new normal. So you shouldn't have to feel any urgency if you're Gen Z in your mid to late 20s. If you can do it and you're comfortable doing it, great. But you shouldn't feel any pressure to have to do it. And and while at six o'clock, I'm going to just address a couple here because we're going to go in a minute. But Kanisha asked a similar question. Doesn't really say the age, but just kind of gives your scenario. Buy when it's the right time for you, right? Not when Jeb and Josh are talking about homeownership and why it's important and you're having FOMO because you're missing out on things. Buy when it's the time for you, money in the bank, uh, comfortable with the payment, longer term time horizon. These are the things that we talk about, preach about every single week. They apply regardless of where you are in your journey. And it's super, super important to do that. So with that said, if you're a home buyer, you're new to the process, you're trying to educate yourself, really, this, this this channel is all about education. Here, I talk a lot about a, a lot of different topics, right? I range on everything from economics to different loan programs to different things, and it kind of bounces around a little bit. Whereas the Educated Home Buyer, our other channel, um, uh, where Josh and I are partners on that channel, we d- do a deep dive into a topic every single week and really try to make sense of it for you as a potential buyer out there. So if you haven't subscribed, haven't checked out the channel, haven't gone and listened to a video, watched a video, go check it out. It's it's a podcast, but done in video format. So if you like video, it's on YouTube. 
There's a link in the description below where you can find it. Um, if you like audio, you hate looking at our faces, that's okay too. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. Most podcast platforms out there, if you want to give us a listen, we would be appreciative of that. Um, and also refer us to friends that are looking to buy, right? We don't get anything out of the listening aspect of it other than views and listens. And it helps algorithms. It helps us really accomplish our goal. And for that, that's why we're here, right? To spread education and help you guys make sense of uh, a lot of just stuff thrown against a wall uh, without really providing information to give you both sides of the story, right? It's usually unilateral type information or just benefits that person and doesn't give you any context behind it. Um, so do that. If you're looking for a mortgage pre-approval, uh, there is a link scrolling on the bottom of the screen right now that gets you in touch with Josh. It'll also get you in touch with the lender across the U.S. If you're looking for real estate advice, you're local to California, Southern California, reach out uh, to me directly. Would happy to help you, be happy to help you. And I can also refer you to anywhere in the country. Uh, somebody can guide you. Josh, final words tonight. Tunisia followed up and said she's 50 in October. So I beat her to it by four months. So just wanted to say thank you to those of you who sent birthday greetings last week. We had a wonderful weekend at the river. Jeb didn't go because he had kid duty because he decided to be a breeder instead of a fun adult that goes mm. to the river and does fun yeah. stuff. So Jeb and I are going to take a separate Josh birthday weekend a month too late. But Oh, I got to um, tell my wife about that. I haven't told her yet. <laughs> yes, tell, tell your wife so that you don't get Are you canceled. listening, wife? Yeah. No, but anyway, uh, thank you guys. We will be back next Wednesday. Another episode, another dive after the July 4th. I mean, I don't know what kind of condition we're going to be in, but we're going to be here, guys. Till next time. Adios. Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, Please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.